Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning. Oh, come on, you do better now. Good morning. Come on, stand with me real quick. Stand with me. Come on, come on. A lot of energy this morning. Come on now. I want lots of, everybody put a smile on your face, whether you like it or not. Come on now. We're going to laugh today, whether we like it or not. We're going to smile big, and we're going to have an amazing time. Uh, before I even go any further, I want to make sure that you understand that, I, that uh, with all of my travels all across the nation and all the different things that God's allowed me to do, uh, I have no doubt in my mind that when you search throughout the nation, you have some of the best pastors in the nation with Pastor Mel and Kim. Would you give them a big hand? Thank them for being so amazing. They are amazing. So, hey, do me a favor, real quick, do me a favor. Spread your hand out really wide. Spread your arms out really wide, really wide. This is no spiritual value. But if you're single, this could work out for you. You never know what's about to It's a little love connection. Forget the app. We could really do this here. All right. On the count of three. Come on, we're going to have fun. I think church, by the way, should be the funnest place to be all week long. Come on. Now, on the count of three, I want you to clap your hands. Ready? One, two, and three. Clap your hand. Okay, this time when you clap your hands, I want you to clap them and hold them however they land, naturally however they land, just hold them, don't go back. Ready, spread your arms out really wide. Come on now, everybody in the house. One, two, and three. Okay, now bring it in close, bring it in close so you can look at it. Okay, look down at your hands real quick. Left thumb, if your left thumb's over the right thumb, look down, left thumb over the right thumb, lift it high in the air, high in the air. If the left thumb's over the right, you people are the best thinkers in the room. Yes, you're the smartest people. Now, if your hand's not up, God still loves you. You just can't add. He loves you, though. You're just not that smart. He just didn't do that for you. Uh, now, totally opposite. How many have your, you have your best thinkers? You guys are the best thinkers. How many totally opposite had your right thumb over the left thumb? Totally opposite. Lifted high in the air. You people are the best looking in the room. Ow, yeah. If your hand's not up, God's got someone for you. Hang in there. Looks aren't everything. Um, how many, so we have our best thinkers. We have our best looking. How many had your thumbs come perfectly together? Just came, okay, you people just think you're good looking. It's an ego issue for you. You can be seated, and you might be wondering, what's that have to do with anything? Nothing. There's zero spiritual value to that whatsoever, but I thought I'd do it anyway. Hey, we're gonna have some fun this morning, and as Pastor Mel mentioned, uh, I'm the founding pastor of South Hills. We've got a bunch of campuses and all that, and uh, do some, a bunch of other stuff God's allowed us to do. Today we're going to have an opportunity. Part of my life is that uh, I love feeding children around the world. Uh, and so we started this several years ago with Convoy of Hope. It's a, an initiative called Feed One. We'll get to that in a moment. But we're going to have the honor and privilege of taking care of some kids today. When we went in with uh, Convoy of Hope about eight years ago, nine years ago, we had this idea called Feed One. And we said, what if we just like get relationships with Pastor Mel and other people? And what if we just start feeding children? Like, just organically. What if, like, okay, we could do it for $10 a month, and in nine years, we're now at 400,000 children a day in 11 countries that are being fed. It is not what I do full-time at all. It's just something that I just have a heart to do, and I absolutely love it. Hey, a little bit about me. Been married for 30 years. Woo! Um, oh, boy. She's Hispanic. She's hot. And, uh, um... She doesn't speak any English, but that helps us get along really well. Um, 
Like, what can you argue about when you can't talk to the person? So she's, uh, she's amazing, and uh, uh, we've been married for 30 years. We started dating. I went to a youth group when I was 14, and she was 12. I asked her to be my girlfriend, and that's it. So if you have someone that's 12 years old in your family, and they have a little boyfriend or girlfriend, this could be it. This could be the love connection. So 12 years old, and uh, uh, we have two amazing children. And, uh, uh, and then, here's the big thing, 18 months ago, our daughter had a daughter. Our daughter got married, or our daughter got married a few years ago and had a daughter 18 months ago. How many of your grandparents in here? Let me see. I gotta tell you, I wasn't into the title, but man, when you hold that baby, it's like, forget the title, this is amazing. And you love it. I was holding my granddaughter recently, and my son says to me, my adult son, Dad, it's like you love her more. And I said, no, it's not like I do, I do. You had a good run, it's over with for you. Watch the Olympics. You're a silver medalist from now on, boy. <laughs> but, we, uh, uh, but anyway, hey, it is awesome to be able to be with you guys and hang out. If you got a Bible, we're going to go to John chapter 6. Bible, Bible, we're going to go to John 6. want to minister to you a bit a day today, and then we're going to go in the opportunity to feed some children. And uh, as Pastor Mel said, uh, uh, because of all the different things God's allowed me to be a part of, I do a lot of traveling about 40 weeks out of the year. I travel. I leave from here to Spokane next. Uh, and so just kind of hanging out with, with people and speaking and conferences and all sorts of things like that. Uh, but a while back, I was, uh, uh, went on a flight. And has this ever happened to you that you got on the flight, you went on the runway, and then you just sat there for like an hour? And we went out there, and we sat there for like a half hour. Then an hour went by. Then an hour and a half. I'm on this plane. You're there for about an hour and a half, and everybody is getting grumpy. Everybody's starting to get grumpy. And I'm a really upbeat person. Like, what you see up here is who I am. So I'm like just real positive. But after like two hours of sitting on this plane and sweating, you know, and dripping sweat, and, and they're not even announcing why we're not taking off. Something's wrong with the plane or whatever. I'm like, man, I'm getting upset. And I started getting grumpy, and I'm like, come on, move the plane. You know, burn it down. Crucify the pilot. Bring us Barabbas. I was just yelling anything. And then I, like, man, I got to go to the bathroom. So I go over to the bathroom. I'll never forget it. And I, I'm, I'm heading into the restroom, opening the door, and there's a flight attendant standing right there. And, uh, uh, and she's got, she's about 30 years old, pretty girl, and she's biggest smile on her face. And she looks at me, she says, how are you doing? And I'm thinking, why are you so happy? We've been out here for two hours. We're sweating to death on the runway. Why are you so happy? So I asked her. I said, excuse me, ma'am. I'm about to, about to go in the bathroom. She's a flight attendant. I go, why are you so happy? And she looks at me. She goes, I'm not supposed to talk about it at work, but it's Jesus that makes me happy. And I'm like, how do, how do you think that made me feel? I'm the pastor on the flight. You know what I'm saying? I'm the pastor, like, hey, you know, shining. I got a Jesus shirt on, you know, whatever. And she's, she's asking me, I'm the, tell me. The, and then she leans in. I'll never forget. She leans. She goes, do you know Jesus? And I'm thinking, apparently not. I thought I did. But <laughs> seriously, and so the funniest thing, she baptized me in the sink right there. It was amazing. And uh, um, I've been a Christian now for almost two months. And uh, uh and it's amazing. But anyway, so here's the thing. So we ended up going on this flight, and it was, it was kind of like a missions trip. And uh, we went with a bunch of guys, and it was crazy adventurous. And here's the thing. I love adventure. I absolutely love it. Ask my wife. I have skydived before, not hooked onto someone. I did my own. I jumped out of the plane by myself. I love adventure. I have bungee jumped. I have gone down the Nile River. I've gone river rafting on levels four and five. I love, I've been on the freeway in Southern California. That's an adventure in itself. 
at $7 a gallon now. Uh, but um, a little side note, you guys are all, it's $4 for us. I'm like, we would love $4 a gallon. Anyway, so I love adventure. I love adventure. And, but here's the thing. I look at the life of Jesus and I look at what he does. And I, I look throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so if you're new to church, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are kind of known as the gospels, kind of the stories of Jesus. And I look at the stories of Jesus and I'm thinking, man, is he adventurous. He, I, I mean, there's no way I can keep up with him. I look at, he goes to, to, the, to the ocean and he walks on water. I would love to walk on water at the ocean. Walk by a surfer, I'm like, how are you doing? You know, just, it'd be amazing. I, he does that. He goes and turns water into wine. He goes to a funeral, walks up to the casket, basically, and says, you can get out now. Now, don't try that unless you're really confident. Because otherwise, you're going to be on YouTube, and then we're all going to have to defend you. Um, but let me it's amazing what he does. He loves doing adventures. He is an adventurous God and an adventurous Jesus. And the thing that I've noticed that whenever he does adventures or another word for it is miracles, whenever God, Jesus does something pretty amazing, he always seems, there's always seems to be a connection. And if you, you don't have to go there in the Bible, but at the very end of Mark chapter 16, at the very end, there's a verse that really, that just kind of jumped out to me one time. I was reading it. It says, the disciples went out and they did all these miraculous works. You know, they went and they fed children and they, they healed people and they served and they, and, they, and they did all these wonderful things. And it says, as they went out, now watch this, as it says, as they went out and served, like we're gonna do today, as they went out and served, miracles followed. And then that's when it hit me. I was like, wait a minute. So they went out and served, then the miracles happened. The miracles didn't happen, then they served. They served, then the miracles happened. And here's three words that jumped out at me on that day. Here's the three words. Miracles follow action. Say it out loud with me, everybody in the house. Come on. Miracles, come on, follow action. Miracles follow action. When Jesus, when, when you look at the, uh, uh, when they were out there serving Jesus and they were doing these things and they were, they were all, all this serving that they were doing, the miracles followed the action. And it's the same thing with us. When we step out and do something, that's when the miracles show up. I remember when we started South Hills Church. Our church is 23 years old. We got 15 camp. We're about to have 15 campuses. We're launching some. I remember our church just opened up. I remember we were only about three months old. I remember a guy came up to me. He's like, hey, man, I've been going to your church for the last couple of weeks. I'd like to give you some money. I know you're a brand new church. I'm like, I don't know how much money you have, whatever, but okay. A couple of weeks later, he calls me up, gets me a routing number and the, from the church. I don't know who this guy is. Another couple of weeks go by. He calls me up. Our church is only a few months old. He's like, hey, he goes, did you get the money I sent? And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I did, and I don't know. And he goes, call the bank. I call the bank. I'll never forget. Our church is only three months old. I didn't know who this guy is. And it says, it's automated. It says a deposit was made in the amount of $300,000. Yeah, he lives with my wife and I now. And uh, um, we love Uncle Steve. He's a great guy. Uh, but here's the thing. I noticed that when we stepped out, that the miracles followed the action. They always follow action. See, when you step out and serve at a church, the miracles follow the action. When you give and you tithe and you're generous, the miracle follows the action. When you feed children, the miracles follow the When you invite someone to this church who has never been to church, miracles follow action. 
One thing I know for sure is that most people will never see a miracle because they'll never do anything that requires one. An ability to step out and to go for it. And that's what we find in this scripture. And what I wanna do is I want us to go to John chapter six where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And there's a few things I just wanna point out to you that I think are pretty amazing that maybe you've never seen before and that would have to do with our life today. So let's take a look at John chapter six, verse one. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Say Tiberias. Boy, you guys are entered Tiberias. Um, Tiberias, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw the miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, I love this, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip. I love this part, for he already knew what he was going to do. This is such a cool portion of scripture because they're teaching, Jesus is teaching in an area called Bethsaida. Say Bethsaida. Bethsaida. He's teaching in Bethsaida, okay? He gets done teaching. He's like, hey, if you want to hear more from me, meet me over in Tiberias. Well, Tiberias is eight miles away. Can you imagine Jesus going, hey, you want to hear part two of my message? Walk eight miles and they all walked eight miles. Pretty amazing. We, here we wouldn't even walk eight feet, but we walked eight miles. And they're like, okay, part two's over here. Now here's the thing. Bethsaida was an area where you could get food and you could buy food and there's a, it's like a village. It's like an area. Tiberias is eight miles away. There is no food. You don't buy anything in Tiberias. Jesus took them from a place where they could just buy food to a place where they would be forced to trust him. And they took him all the way over here. Now, the sun had gone down, and what happened was Philip comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, how are we gonna feed all these people? It's so dark now, we can't go to Bethsaida eight miles away. What are we going to do? Jesus was setting the stage for a miracle for you and I to learn something 2,000 years later. He was thinking about this. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was thinking about this moment in this story. Because he was, he, was, it was, he was setting it up for a miracle. And here's the thing that I've, I, I find amazing. He took them from Bethsaida to Tiberias because he was setting up the miracle. And here's the first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one is this, Jesus loves to do miracles. He is still, come on folks, he's still in the miracle working business. Wouldn't you agree? Come on, he is still, and, and, and most of the time, here's what we think. We think a miracle is, well, he opened a blind eye or he healed someone. Okay, miracles are far different than that. That's one way of a miracle, but you know what the most incredible miracle of all is? You invite an unchurched person to Summit Church and they find Christ, they are saved, they are redeemed, that is the greatest miracle of all. It is the salvation of people. When you feed a child and say, okay, I'll give up 10 bucks a month to take care of a kid, and that kid's life gets turned around, that's a miracle. Jesus loves to do miracles. He's still in the miracle working business, and we see this. He takes him to Bethsaida all the way to Tiberius. Why? Because he was setting the stage for a miracle. He loves to do miracles. I've seen that in my life. 
Saw that, I've seen that with South Hills Church, seen that with Feed One. You guys have seen it here at Summit Church. God is still in the miracles and he loves to do miracles. Years ago when I was speaking regularly at the campus, now I kind of pop around to different ones, but I was speaking regularly at one of our campuses and it's a large auditorium. And I was sitting here ready for the service to start. It's got a bunch of Sunday and Saturday night services and stuff. And I was sitting here ready for the service to start. And in walks this guy I'd never met before. Now, let's have a little bit of honesty. And by the way, don't you love it when a pastor says, can I be honest with you? Because I'm always thinking, well, what have you been doing up to this point? But anyway, here's, here's something funny. He comes in. How many have ever met anybody? Come on now. You've ever met anybody that, uh, you, you, we know we're stereotyping, but you ever met anybody that just looks flat out intimidating? Come on. You, you know what I mean? Just like you meet them and they may be nice, but you're like, man, you're scary looking. That was this guy. He comes walking in. You know that type of guy. Have you ever been pumping gas late at night and someone pulls up next to you and you're like, okay, $1.50 is enough because you're scared. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And $1.50 will get you almost an ounce of gas. And uh, um, so, I'm, so here I am sitting here ready for service to start and about to start in walks this guy and he is a big dude. You know, he's just big guy. But he, I don't know how else to say it, but just to say it, he looked like, maybe not the godfather, but he looked like the dude that guarded the godfather. Just intimidating looking, you know, and he's about 6'2", tatted up to here. He's got hair slicked back. He's kind of got that Italian, you know, just kind of, and then he's got the chains going here, the gold chains like this, and he wears sunglasses that he never takes off. And when I mean never, never. I've never, he doesn't, prayer, sunglasses stay on. Worship, sunglasses. I baptized him with sunglasses on. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He came up, clean him up. I'm telling you, it's unreal. And I go over and I meet him and I'm like, hey man, how you doing? And this is exactly how he talks. It's hilarious. He stands up and he goes, how you doing? Name's Glenn. And I'm like, he's got a cannoli somewhere or a gun, something. He's the godfather, I can feel it, you know. I, and I was so nervous, I just bent down and kissed his ring. I didn't know what to do. And so I, I meet him, I talk to him for like 30 seconds, 60 seconds, nice to meet you. He goes, nice to meet you. And I'm thinking, he's going to kill me, I just know it. And so I go over there, worship stars, blah, 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 you know, and I worship like this. If you saw me in the front row, you have to have insurance near me when I worship. And, um, and I'm sitting there worshiping and things are going on. It's time for me to speak. I get up, I speak. The place is packed. It's a big old auditorium. I'm telling a story. Everybody's cracking up. It's a really funny story. You know, really good story. And he's in the front row, not even cracking a smile. He's just looking at me the whole time. And I'm thinking, he's going to kill me. This is it. You know, and so now I get done speaking. I go back down. I sit right there. The associate pastor comes up, prays for the offering. We do the offering at the end. He prays for the offering. While everybody's praying, I'm in the front row and I am not closing my eyes. I'm looking down the row here over to Glenn and I'm thinking, what is he going to do? And during the offering prayer, I'm looking over at him. He pulls up his pant leg and I'm like, that's it. He's going for the gun. And he pulls up his pant leg and he undoes a rubber band with the biggest grip of $100 bills I've ever seen in my life. There had to be at least 10 grand on his ankle, you know, and he undoes it. And I'm watching him like this, and he's getting ready for the offering, and he's counting out the $100 bills, like this, and he stops. I'm like, come on, dude. I know where the bodies are buried. Give up some money. And so, it, so this goes on. He gives him the offering. He comes for a couple more weeks, Third week, fourth week, fifth week, he keeps coming. By the second month, 
he signs up. He wants to serve. He wants to get involved. And I'm like, he's like, hey, man, I'm, I want to I wanna get involved. I want to help out. So I introduced him to one of the associates. I'm like, here, I go, get him involved. I go, don't let him be in security. God, he'll kill people. I just know it. He's like, well, I had to take him out, man. You know, they didn't listen. And um, I'm like, oh, don't. And so he becomes an usher, which I thought Pastor Mel would have been a disaster, but our offerings went through the roof. Because when he stands over you, you give. Money's going in, watches, people are putting in their kids, they give. Because when he stands over you, you're scared to death, you know? And uh, um, so then after a couple, about two or three months gone by, he's serving, he's an usher, which is just hilarious. And he comes up to me right before the service. I'll never forget it. It was right in front of the stage. And he looks at me, he goes, hey, Pastor Chris. I said, yeah, and the service is about to start. He goes, do you know why I sit in the front row every time? And I said, Glenn, I have no idea why you sit in the front row every time. And he says, if someone tries something on you, I'll take care of it. And I'm thinking in my mind, he wants someone to try something on me. He's looking for a reason to inflict pain. I just know what it is. So we do this thing called family month, where we do this big thing, family month. It's the biggest time of the year, big attendance, blah, blah, blah. And it's the Thursday before Sunday. And I'm studying, getting ready for family month, first message of the series, you know, and I'm, I'm in my office and I'm on my laptop going like, there's a knock on my door it's, it, it, and it opens up and it's my assistant and she says, hey, Chris, you have a call on line one. And I said, well, I got to tell the person I'll call them back in an hour or two. I got to finish this, some thoughts up. She's shutting the door. I'll never forget. She goes, okay, I'll let Glenn know. I said, hold it. I go, it's Glenn? And she said, yeah, I said, I'll take the call. And she goes, why is that important? I go, never mind, I'll take the call. I pick it up and I go, hello? I'm all trying to be peppy and Christ-like, hello, you know, the beloved Chris, how can I help you? You know, just trying to be all whatever. This is no joke. He goes, no joke. He goes, Chris Glenn, I'm bringing 15 people on Sunday. Reserve the first three rows, click. That was it. There was no goodbye, no God bless you, no shalom, nothing. Just, I'm bringing 15 people, reserve the first three rows, click. I was scared to death. So I got the staff together. I'm like, hey guys, we got to reserve the first three rows Sunday. They're looking at me like, what, what are you worried about? We got some rope. I go, that's not thick enough. I go, we need stuff that would hold down the Titanic. I need something real big. You go to Lowe's, you go to Home Depot, give me the best rope money can buy. They had no idea. I personally came out. I would, I mean, I typically would never do this. I'm over there hanging out, you know, service is about to start and that Sunday comes and we got rope that's around this big and I rope off the first three rows personally because I want to make sure that no one takes it because I knew if those things were not roped off, he would come after me. So they're roped up, and then people are coming in, they're lifting up the rope, you know, because they're, you know, taking, you know how we all sit in the same spot every week and don't act like you didn't do that this morning? He... You're all laughing because, yeah, this is our row. And uh, anyway, so we rope off the three rows, and, uh, uh, and I'm standing there, and people are coming. They're lifting up the rope to sit down. I'm like, nope. I'm looking at them. Nope. Nope. Don't you do it. Nope. Some lady came down with a walker. I'll never forget. I'm like, no. Kicked her, and she went down. And uh, um, the walker fell over. The tennis balls on the bottom came loose. Da, 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 da. Finally, one minute before the service starts, in walks Glenn, and he's in the front like this. And he's just literally coming down the aisle like this. And there's not 15, 21 first-time guests walking behind him. 21. Some of them were like, man, we're going to church. This is amazing, you know. And some of them were like, it was this or death. But they all showed up. And they all come in, you know, and he sat down. Now, over the next few months, I watched God do some amazing things in Glenn's life. I watched what happened. 
And it just occurred to me as, as God just did some incredible things in this guy's life and we're still friends today. It still scares me, but we're still friends today. And uh, <laughs> I got so many other stories I could tell you about him. But anyway, he's, he's hilarious. But uh, um, I, I, here's the thing is that I watched Glenn's life and it just occurred to me that God, Lord, you don't care what we've done, where we've been, what mistakes we've made, whether we're talented or not that talented, gifted or not that gifted. Lord, it's real simple. You just love doing miracles with people. Which brings me to that second thought. He loves to do miracles. I watched him do it in Glenn's life. I watched his life turn around. But not only does he love to do miracles, Jesus wants to use others. Here's the crazy thing, you guys. This is really crazy. He loves to do miracles. He loves to do the extraordinary. He loves to do the amazing. But you know what is really crazy? He doesn't like doing it alone. He wants to use me and he wants to use you. Go from Genesis to Revelations. Read the entire Bible. This is one thing, common thing that you'll find. That the Lord loves to do miracles, but the Lord doesn't like doing them alone. He loves partnering with people like you and I. And all that we have to do is this. We don't have to be all greatly talented or greatly gifted. We simply just have to say, Lord, let me be in on the miracle. I want to be part of what you do. That's amazing, God. And I've watched it over and over and over in my life, and I've seen what God can do, and I've seen how he has responded. Look what it says. Philip replied, verse 7, let's go back to it. Philip replied, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, <clears throat> Simon Peter's brother, speaks up. There's a young boy here with five loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Did you follow this? Jesus takes them from Bethsaida all the way to Tiberias. That's too late for them to walk back and there's no food. Philip walks up and goes, what are we gonna do for food? Lord, we got 5,000 people here. And then Jesus knew what he was gonna do. During that exact moment, Andrew comes up and interrupts Philip and Jesus and says, hey, I got a little boy here. He's got some fish and some uh, 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 bread. Uh, he's got a little sack lunch. Maybe we could do something with that. Now, how many of you know, uh, you know, and just, you've had kids before, your kids don't give up their food. I just think behind the scenes that, you know, Philip walked up to him or Andrew walked up to him, look, you wanna make it in the Bible, give up your lunch. It's gonna be a big book. You wanna be in it or not? He gives up his lunch and that's where the miracle starts. You see, here's the thing. Could Jesus have taken a stick, picked it up, and turned it into a fish? Yes or no? Yes or no? Could he have picked up a rock and turned it into bread? Yes or no? Then why didn't he? Why didn't he just do that? Why not just say, you become fish, you become bread, and be done with it? Because he, he even wanted a little boy with a sack lunch to be a part of the miracle working process. He even wanted a little boy. That's the amazing thing, you guys. It, it, you might be 15 years old in here, or you might be 85 years old in here, but guess what? He's not done with you. Man, he's got some amazing things for your life. I didn't grow up in church at all. I grew up in a home of seven. I'm the youngest of seven. And we grew up in a house that was 900 square feet. 900 square foot home, in Southern California, we grew up there, and um, it wasn't a Christian home. When I was about 14 years old, that's when I went to a youth group. I got invited to a youth group. The first night, I met this girl named Laura, and she became my wife years later. 
And, but in that youth group, I would ride my bike to church or whatever, but I loved going to that youth group. And uh, I was the only one that was really going to church, but I'd ride my bike there, or I'd get a, I'd get a ride there, I'd walk there, whatever. <clears throat> By the time I was 17 years old, I knew I wanted to be in the ministry. I was a senior in high school, I'll never forget. My dad came up to me in the hallway at 3481 Grant Street. I could take you to the, I could take you to the exact spot where him and I talked in the little hallway at 3481 Grant Street, where he came up to me and he said, so what are you gonna do when you graduate in a few months? And I said, Dad, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Bible college. Well, how are you gonna pay for that? I, I don't have no money for you. I said, I don't know, Dad, I'm just gonna figure it out. But I'm gonna go to Bible college and I'm gonna start churches and write books and preach and I'm gonna do everything I can to make a difference for Jesus. I'll never forget what he said to me. I'll, I'll never forget it. And he looked at me and said, you'll never make it. You're no good. You don't have enough talent. I'll never forget that. And so I went into the room and sat down and I started to cry a little bit as a 17 year old kid. And uh, I sat there on the edge of the bed crying a little bit and I felt like God just spoke to me right there. I said, hold on Chris, before you cry anymore, this is the defining moment in your life. He said, you have a choice right now. Do you wanna listen to what your earthly father says about you or do you wanna listen to what your heavenly father says about you? You make a choice. And I made a choice right there. Guys, there's a lot of defining moments in our life, isn't it? You go back to your growing up, go back to what your dad said to you, go back to what your mom said to you, go back to that divorce, go back to the way that person made you feel, and we continue to go down that trail, letting our identity be wrapped up inside of that story, and then we end up letting that happen in our life, and we constantly struggle with it. I understand that, and we live under that shadow. Believe me, I understand, I get it. I get it. That's why I'm telling you. You might be sitting here just going, well, you're a pastor. No, I didn't grow up in a pastor's home, and I did not grow up in a Christian home like that. That is not my story. My story was I just had enough nerve to take Jesus for his word. And I just said, Jesus, use my life. If you can use anybody, then do something great with me. I never imagined he would do what he did in my life, but he's done it. Why? Because I just said, Lord, I'm gonna do this. Now, here's the thing. I believe that in some of us in here, maybe there's some pain and hurt and resentment in our heart, and we're thinking, how would Jesus ever partner with me? I'm just an average person. I don't look that great. I'm not that smart. I'm not that this. You don't know what people have said to me. And I get all of that, but I believe with all of my heart that in him, through him, and because of him, you are more than enough. You're more than enough. You ever notice what we let get in our way from what God wants to do in our life? Here's what I gotta believe. I believe that in this room, there are books that have not yet been written. Matter of fact, let's do something. How many here have ever said in your mind, I'd like to write a book, but you never wrote it so far? Come on, lift up your hand. Some honesty, Pastor, I had a Your pastor's coming out with a book next year, so get ready for it. That's good, huh, Kim? Now it's there. Um, you, you said, I'm gonna write a book, or I'm gonna start a business, or I'm gonna do something, and then we don't end up doing that thing. Why? Because we don't think we're smart enough, or good enough, or talented enough, or no one will care, or we can't start that business, or write that song, or go into the ministry. You have no idea. And we live under these things. You know what we live under? A few emotions. Number one, we live under fear. Fear that we won't be able to do something. You know what I believe with? I believe this with all of my heart is that fear must submit to belief. Here's what people say to me all the time. Pastor Chris, pray for me. I got a fear problem. No, you don't. You have a belief problem because as soon as you belief goes up, the fear goes down. Why? Because fear has to submit to belief. We have a doubt problem. You know what I would say to that? Feed your dreams and starve your doubts. Don't let doubt get in the way. We have an insecurity issue. 
Fear, doubt, insecurity. I'm insecure, I don't know if I can do this or be that or whatever. And then the other thing is, the last one is, and how many would agree with me, here's one of our biggest problems, we listen to other people's opinions. You ever notice this? Here's what I've noticed, that people will tear down your dream to a level that's comfortable for themselves. You know why they do that? Because your desire for excellence threatens their mediocrity. That's why they do it. And we let people sort of make us feel that way. I think that's a lot of what happened in the Bible. I know it's what happened with Peter. But let's go back to the story. Jesus is looking at a little boy with a sack lunch. He's looking at Andrew. He's looking at Philip. He's looking at Peter with a disciple, one of the most insecure guys you'll ever meet. And he's looking at all of them and he's saying, look, I just want to partner with you. I wanna do some amazing things. I just don't wanna do it alone. From beginning to end, we always see that Jesus seemed to find someone that was willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm all in. One thing I have learned, man, if you go all out, God will go all in. That's for sure. And if you'll let go of what's in your hands, he'll let go of what's in his. And I promise you, he's got more in his hands than you got in yours. It just works. Jesus loves to do miracles. He doesn't like doing them alone. He looks for partnership. I remember when I was speaking regularly at that campus, I was telling you with Glenn, and during that time or sometime after that, a girl shows up about 30 years old, 35 years old. She's a single. She comes and I meet her and she's like, oh, I've never been to church and this is my first time. She gives her life to Christ that day. She gets involved, all this stuff. About 90 days later, this girl that had never been to church before, now has been going for 90 days, she's, she's sitting over there in the third or fourth row, service is about to start, and she's got someone with her. And I go over there and I'm like, who's this? And she introduces me to this, you know, to this person and it's a friend from work. And, and I, I say, hey, how are you? About to, she's about the same age. And she goes, literally, she looks at me and she goes, I've never been to church. And I go, she goes, this is my first time in church. I go, I go, you've never been to church? She goes, only for a wedding or a funeral. She goes, I've never sat in a church service, 35 years old in my entire life. And I said, man, you're at the right place. We love having you. So this girl that's been a Christian now 90 days invites her friend for the first time. Message goes on, service is over. I'm standing over here talking and I look over here and knelt down on the steps is this girl that's been a Christian for 90 days praying with her friend that is there. And I'm thinking, what is she praying about? She's only been a Christian 90 days. How does she know how to pray? Like, what confidence? She comes over and talks to me. She goes, hey, Pastor Chris, you know, and again, the girl that's been a Christian now three months, she goes, remember my friend you met her before? I go, yeah. She goes, I was praying over there. I go, yeah, I saw you guys. She goes, yeah. She goes, I just led her to the Lord. And I'm thinking, you did? I'm thinking, I didn't know you knew how to do that. Like, that's pretty cool, you know? And here's the best part. She goes, yeah, I don't know if I did it right, though. It was so funny. I'm like, and you should saw the girl's expression, the other girl, I hope so. There's a lot riding on this. But this story, it was incredible. And I watched God and I'm like, man, Lord, you are amazing. You'll take someone that's brand new in the faith and just do something spectacular. You'll take someone that's been a Christian for a long time. All we have to do is say, God, I'll go all in. There's some of you in here that God has been waiting for you to go all in. Just been waiting. Yeah, but... Uh, here's the thing, you know what cracks me up, is when you're young, you say, well, I'm not, that, I'm not old enough. And when you're too old, you're like, oh, okay, that's it, I'm, I'm too old now. Well, when's the right age? You know when the right age is? Today. Today's the right age. 
Doesn't matter who you are, what you've been, where you've done, how young you are, how old you are, God is not done with you, period, end of story. When he's done with you, you'll be dead. Until then, he's got something for you to do, and it's pretty amazing. And if you would just give him a chance. Now, I'm not talking about being a Christian. I'm talking about just saying, God, I'm willing to go all in. What do you wanna do with my life? What do you wanna do? How do you wanna use me? He loves to do miracles. He just doesn't like doing them alone. He wants to partner with other people. And then the third thing is, Jesus loves to multiply it. He multiplies it. So he loves to do miracles. He doesn't like doing them alone. And he loves to multiply it. Look down with me at the scripture. It says this. It says, verse uh, 8, I believe we're picking up. Or verse, no, I'm sorry, verse 10. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves. Remember from the kid that had the sack lunch, the bread and the fish? He took the loaves, gave, them to, uh, gave thanks to God. God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. They picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets. How many baskets did they fill? Come on. How many disciples were there? Isn't it interesting? They sends out 12 disciples and exactly 12 baskets come back. Not 11, not eight, not nine, not 10, but exactly 12. Why? because he wanted everybody to play a role in the miracle working process. They all wanted to be a part of it. And it says that, that they, uh, was left over by the people who had eaten from the five loaves. The little boy comes, he has a sack lunch with a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. Jesus uses it and multiplies it and feeds 5,000 people. And then at the end of the 5,000 people, they end up with more food than they started with. Anybody like that idea of a grocery list? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, you, you know, uh, because you know kids, they open their refrigerator, there's nothing to eat, but, but this would be amazing. Because they would have this, they bought this much food or had this much food and it ended up with this much. And that is the miracle working part, that he loves to do miracles, he doesn't like doing them alone, and he multiplies it. You know what he'll do with your, with your generosity? He'll multiply it. You know what he'll do when you invite someone to church? He'll multiply it. You know what he'll do when you serve in this church? He'll multiply it. I've watched him do that in my life over and over. I'm telling you, I am not that smart. I've written a bunch of books, I don't know how, but um, I, seriously, I just, I'm just, I, the, the one thing that I have going for me is I actually take Jesus for his word that he really wants to do something amazing in my life. And I just keep embracing with him and he keeps on doing great things. He loves to do miracles, he doesn't wanna do them alone, and he loves to multiply it. I was blown away talking to Pastor Mel yesterday about what, what's happened with the conferences she is, where you guys are attracting 2,000 women in a town of 10,000 people. And that's just God going, yeah, that's just a little something I can do. I can do a lot more because he just loves to work with you and I, and he wants to do it in you. He loves to do miracles, he doesn't wanna do them alone, and he loves to multiply them. And I love the math of Jesus. When, I give, when I'm a little generous, boom, he blesses my life. When I serve, he blesses my life. When I invite an unchurched person to church and I watch what God did, somehow he blesses my life. He loves to multiply. I love the math of Jesus, I don't love the math of the bank. How many know that if you have a million dollars in the bank today, like if you put a million dollars in, by a year from now with the interest, you'd have a million dollars and four cents. You know what I'm talking about? 
You ever notice that when you give them a million dollars, they give you 1% interest, but if you borrow money on a credit card, it's 18% interest. That is not fair, but that's the way it works. I said, I asked the teller, I said, hey, can you give me a balance? And, and she goes, yeah, sure, Mr. Songson. And she goes, and then she looks at the count, and I could see she kind of reacted. She goes, do you want me to say that out loud, or do you want me to write it down? And I'm thinking, it's $1,700. You know, I'm thinking in my mind, just say it out loud. I go, go ahead, and I go, say it out loud. What is it? No joke. She looks right at me, she goes, and she looks at me, she goes, Mr. Songson, and she whispers. She goes, you have $1,785,433.73. She goes, is that what you got? And I said, that's what I got. <laughs> yes. I actually, I mean, honestly, Pastor Mel, I was like, it's the Lord. He's blessing me. He's good. I'm about to get a million seven. And unfortunately, they worked it all out, and I was back to one donut. But, uh, um, but here's the thing. I don't love the math of the, uh, of, the, of the bank, but I love the math of Jesus. I don't know how he does it. But whenever I do something, he just multiplies it because that's who he is. And I love, I just love that. You know, I think about this. You might have heard this before, but, you know, a, a basketball in my hand is worth about 50 bucks. A basketball in Michael Jordan's hand is worth millions. It just depends whose hands it's in. A guitar in my hand is worth a couple thousand dollars. A guitar in Carlos Santana's hand is worth millions of dollars. Just depends whose hands it's in. A little bit of fish and a little bit of bread feeds a couple people in my hands. But in Jesus' hands, it feeds thousands. It just depends whose hands it's in. In my life, your life can be average and we can live here on this earth and be average and come to a church and just kind of be average Christian. And, or we could just say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm putting my whole life in your hand. It would just depends whose hands is in. He'll do extraordinary things. You know, I told you, you Pastor Mel mentioned that we're part of Feed One, and we're gonna have an opportunity today to be a part of a miracle, to be a part of feeding children and making a difference in people's lives. Jesus said, when you refuse to feed the least of these, it's as if you're refusing me. This morning isn't about guilt feeding children, but it is about responsibility, the ability to feed children. When did that all happen for me? About eight, nine years ago, 10 years ago, I went to Haiti, and we were inside of this brick building and it was, it's a third world country and so there's no carpet on the floor and the brick is just like all unfinished, no paint. There's holes in the walls for ventilation and that's their school. And our church was taking care of that school, about 70, 80 kids. We were taking care of that and a bunch of other stuff, but we were taking care of that school. And I was there on, on, uh, on a certain school day and there's 70, 80 kids in there, all about six, seven, eight years old. And I'm standing there and the principal, whoever, is introducing me. And one guy's interpreting in my ear, but he's introducing me in, in their language. And basically what he says is, hey, the guy standing up next to me, he was talking about me. The guy standing next to me, uh, he's a pastor at a church in America, and his church is the reason that you're getting your food today. And all 70 or 80 kids jumped up spontaneously, ran towards the stage, tackled me on the stage. Literally, I was on the ground. Literally, physically, on the ground. And they're hugging me and kissing me, and in their broken English, they're saying, thank you for our food. And man, it did break my heart, because none of us have any idea what that feels like, to wonder, am I going to eat today? A crazy thought. None of us even crossed our mind today. But that's what was on their mind. And they hugged me, and they kissed me. They go back to their seat. And I look through the holes where they have holes for ventilation, and I see kids peeping through from the outside. 
I'm like, what are they doing? So I lean over to this other guy, the founder of Convoy of Hope. He was there with me, Hal Donaldson, and I said, what are they doing? He goes, oh, they're wondering if there's any food left over. And I go, well, why aren't they in here in school? And he goes, oh, it's $10 a month to get them in here. For $10 a month, they can get an education, a chance to hear about Jesus and food every day. And I'm like, for 10 bucks a month? Yeah. So there wasn't any food left over. After they fed the kids in the room, there was nothing left over. And guess what was selected to go out and tell 150 children on the outside of the wall, no food today, try again tomorrow? Me. Believe me, you do not want to have to do that. I went out and told those kids. I remember two days later getting on a flight and going home. And I remember God just got a hold of my heart and said, Chris, your church, you're, you're the pastor. Whatever. You guys give a lot of money to help feed people. But what about you? What about some of your time? What about some of your influence? So I went back to Hal Donaldson, the founder of Convoy, and I'm like, what if we start this thing called Feed One, where we could get the price down to $10 a kid, and, and then we could just meet, we just talk to friends like ours, like Pastor Mel and other ones across the nation, and, and, then, and just ask them if we could get people to feed kids at $10. What if we just did that, something simple? And we birthed it out of what Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed 100, then just feed one. And so we thought, well, we can try that. And here we are almost 10 years later, and we just hit, just recently hit 400,000 children a day in 11 countries, just from an idea of like, what it would be if we fed kids? And um, I, I've spent the last 10 years, I'm a pastor and we got a coaching organization and all that, but I've given some of my life and I've gotten a bunch of friends, Justin Lathrop, Brad Lominick, a bunch of friends of mine that are, that are out there every now and then talking to churches like this and just going, hey, let's feed some more kids. Let's feed more kids. And this is what we keep on doing. We keep on asking this. Would you please help us get kids from the outside of the walls to the inside of the walls where they can get food, an education, and a chance to hear about Jesus? This is a story of Rika, one of the girls' families that we helped. And she is one of many that were on the outside of the wall that we moved to the inside of the wall. Check out this story, then your pastor will come.